So we are seeking a word of blessing, a word of hope from the scripture this morning. We are hearing a story in 1 Kings chapter 17. This is where the Elijah stories begin in the Hebrew scripture, and we are going to hear the first 16 verses. Listen for the word of God. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Go from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the Wadi Hereth, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the Wadi, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the Wadi Hereth, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the Wadi. But after a while, the Wadi dried up because there was no rain in the land. And then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Go now to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and live there. For I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So Elijah set out and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the town, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel so that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked and only a handful of meal in a jar And a little oil in a jug. I am now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not be afraid. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied. And the jug of oil will not fail until the day that the Lord sends rain on the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, so that she as well as he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not emptied, and neither did the jug of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O God, our rock and redeemer. Amen. As I said, um, the Elijah cycle of stories begins here in this chapter. And Elijah is, of course, the prophet par excellence as far as Israel is concerned, um, along with Moses. Um, Those two prophets, um, their shadow and their presence falls all across the Hebrew scriptures and, of course, spills over into the New Testament and into the Gospels. And they are the prototypical prophets by which every other prophet is measured and As we heard Sharon read the text from the gospel, 
after Jesus performs the raising um, of the son of the widow at Nain, all the talk is about, oh, God is raising up a new prophet in Israel. There's a little bit of context I want to add to this, though. Um, Elijah is mentioned for the first time in verse 1 of chapter 17, but there's a little bit of context, and I want to give um, all the parents a bit of a heads up, because this is a little tough, and you may get some questions about this this afternoon from your children. So it opens up with Elijah making a declaration before King Ahab. Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom of Israel, and Elijah declaring that there is going to be a drought and that it is God's proclamation that it is making it so. And so we need to understand a little bit about why this is being declared. So if we back up into chapter 16 and we take a look at those last few verses, it gives us the reason for what's up with God and why God is using Elijah in this way. So Ahab comes to the throne in the northern kingdom. And in verse 30 it says, Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. In other words, making sure um, a previous king, Jeroboam, um, had set up some golden idols within um, newly constructed shrines so that people of different faiths other than the, the religion of Israel could come and make their offerings. So Ahab took as his wife Jezebel, daughter of King Ethbaal of the Sidonians, also known as the Phoenicians, And went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab also made a sacred pole. Ahab did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than had all the kings of Israel who were before him. In Ahab's days, the city of Jericho was refortified. And its foundation was laid at the cost of his firstborn. And the gates were set up at the cost of his youngest son. In other words, when this temple to Baal was built, children were sacrificed so that the foundations would be blessed by Baal. No wonder God's mad. And in fact, we find that thread running through the Hebrew scripture, God asking the question, why did you do such things? I never ask you to do such things. So God is on a campaign, shall we say, of trying to remind Ahab and the people of Israel who they are and whose they are. Who has laid a claim on them and what they are called to do as a people of God. And it is not building temples to other gods and sacrificing children and putting them underneath the foundation stones. 
And so it is because of this that Elijah comes into the presence of Ahab and says, You know what? You're off task, bud. And because you are, the heavenly spigot is turned off. And there will be no rain for crops. There will be no rain to replenish the wadis or the the brooks. There will be no rain to replenish the wells. And so God makes provision for Elijah during this period of drought and sends him to a wadi, a brook. He's fed by ravens and drinks from the brook until it dries up. And then God sends him some interesting instructions. He says, I want you to go to this old town called Zarephath. And it's in the region of Sidon. Did you catch at the end of chapter 16 where Jezebel's from? That's where she's from. So, in effect, God is sending Elijah into the area of the quote-unquote enemy. He's sending him to Gentile territory because within Gentile territory, God's going to do something big. And what God does through Elijah is bring life out of a situation that is marked by death. Haven't we heard that somewhere before? So when Elijah shows up at the city gates, there is a widow. And she's gathering a couple of sticks. And we can imagine the drought has been going on for a while that there probably is not that much firewood around, so she's getting what she can get. And her situation is so dire. She and her son are so malnourished. And all they have left is a little handful of meal, a little bit of oil in a jug. And she's going to make this for their last meal. And then they're going to die because there's nothing left. The water in the well is getting a little silty. There are no crops by which she can get more meal to make more bread. And this widow is also of the category, um, what I like to call the woes, a biblical category, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Those who are on the periphery of the communities of Israel, and who are dependent upon the giving sacrifices of the people of God. She is a widow, and she's also a quote-unquote a stranger, an immigrant, an alien. And it is to this woman who does not have standing anywhere in the community that Elijah turns and requests some water and he requests for a little something to eat. And so she tells him what the deal is. And he says, if you will share with me, he's getting food and drink from a Gentile, which no Jew would want to do. But he says, if you will share with me, God is going to make sure that Your meal will never run out and your oil jug will always have oil in it and you will be able to feed yourselves throughout the rest of this drought. 
It's an unherited miracle. There are no crowds standing around saying, oh, look what God has done. It's one of these quiet little things that God does, which people often don't notice. Now, it's interesting to think about these images of water, of which there isn't enough in this scenario because there is a drought. The lakes, the brooks, the wells are drying up. There are no crops. They wither because of a lack of rain. And then also the presence of oil which would have been extruded from the olives on the olive trees. And we can imagine that the olive trees weren't doing well because of this period of extended drought. And so oil would have been a precious commodity in addition to water. When you put the two together, and this is, those of you who are cooks in the congregation know about this. When you put oil and water together, what happens? One just sits, they separate. They don't go together, right? Okay? And even if you shake it up in a jar and you sit it down, it's going to separate, right? You have to add something to get the two to coexist together. And in this case, it's meal. Anybody here raised on hot water cornbread? See some? Yeah. Hot water, cornbread, cornmeal, salt, water, and hopefully a hot skillet that's well seasoned. <laughs> it's actually pretty bland stuff, but then when you put in a little oil or put in an egg, then you've got something else all together, right? So it's like the water and the oil come together in that meal and it makes something that's nourishing to the body, that's satisfying when you eat it, that sends a signal to the brain that, that there is satisfaction taking place in the tummy. Right? Something that's nourishing. So we need water to live, to stay hydrated, but we need oil, we need fat to tell us that we're doing well and to make our tummies happy. Right? I returned from Portland from 2016 General Conference Tuesday, excuse me, Thursday evening. And I didn't see much meal present, but I saw a lot of oil and a lot of water, and they weren't mixing. We knew that General Conference 2016, and that is... The business of the Global United Methodist Church, it happens every four years with delegates from all over the world. And every four years, the global church gets together and does legislation. Updates the rules of the church, puts forward petitions for new legislation and such things. And so in Portland, over the last 10 days, we had between 850 and 900 delegates from the Global United Methodist Church, both clergy and lay. 
And we knew that there was the potential for this particular general conference to be a watershed because of the Supreme Court's decision last year legalizing same-sex marriage. Because there's language in our book of discipline that affirms every human being, regardless of race, class, gender, sexual orientation, it affirms every human being as being created and loved by God. But then there are other places in the discipline where persons who are um, homosexual are denied the possibility of being ordained in clergy in the United Methodist Church are forbidden from performing same-sex marriages in addition to United Methodist buildings not being able to be used for any kind of same-sex marriage. And so because of the Supreme Court decision, we knew it was going to come up. And the divide made itself clear quickly. We had this faction lined up on this side, and we had this faction lined up on this side. And when I was there on Tuesday, the tension was so thick you could chew it. And the middle was stretched so thin I was certain it would snap. My friends, we need God to send us some flour quick. We need for God to remind each and every one of us that to be united is not to be uniform. God created this good creation diverse. It is built into the very fabric of creation. Diversity. But as humans, we seem dead set on uniformity. And my, 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 boring is an understatement to describe uniformity. It is my prayer that God will take the oil and the water that exists in our churches, in our denomination, in our world. And that God will send some holy meal to join the two together into something nourishing for us, for all God's creation. Amen.